Before we start, let us pray. Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves tonight before you and we give you our praise because you are our maker and our redeemer. And we thank you tonight, O God, that you are eternally faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. We can say with the psalmist, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Lord, we ask that as we come to your living and active word tonight, that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us through it. And in your grace, may you give us a fresh appreciation of the wonder of your forgiveness, the beauty of the Lord Jesus, the incomparable joy of being reconciled with you, and the assurance of knowing that you are in control. Speak to us tonight from your word, we pray, and help us to live out practically, day by day, the truth found in your inspired word. In Christ's name we ask, and for his glory. Amen. Now, I don't know if you like taking tests. Well, if you like taking tests, you may have taken a test about two weeks ago called the Know Your Planet Test. Now, it was hosted by Philip Schofield and Anne Robinson. And it gave viewers the chance to test their knowledge of the world that we live in. So guess what we're going to do tonight? We're going to find out how intelligent you really are. Now, I'm going to give you three questions, okay, from this test, and see if you can guess the right answer. And as usual, there are no prizes. Okay, now here's the first one. This is the largest shark found in British waters. Which is it? Hands up if you think it is a hammerhead shark. Okay? A tiger shark. Okay, there's only four answers, by the way. A great white shark. A basking shark. What a smart bunch. The correct answer is D, the basking shark. So the next time you go for a swim at the beach, remember this sermon. Now here's the second one. Where on earth would you find the most geezers? Who thinks? Who but harder? No, not that geezer. Who thinks it is Japan? Yellowstone Park. Gotcha. Alaska. Walford. I think that's a joke, the last one. The correct answer is B, Yellowstone Park. Well done. And finally, with which desert are the famous Bushmen associated? Now, hands up if you think it is the Sahara Desert. Now, is it the Majovi Desert? Is that right? The Javi Desert, whatever. The Gobi Desert. The Kalahari Desert. The correct answer is D, the Kalahari Desert. And interestingly, people in Edinburgh were found to be the smartest people in the whole of the UK. (laughs) Why do I find that so hard to believe? But imagine this. Imagine if you were given a test. And now the author of this test is not the BBC. The author of this test is God, your maker. Let me tell you why this test is so important. It's because this test 
doesn't measure how much you know about sharks, geezers, and African bushmen. This test measures how much you'd really trust in God. In other words, do I really, really trust Him? Whether I am experiencing blessings or trials in my life, will I still trust in God? I like to picture it in this way. Just suppose that you went off to Africa, okay? And because you are a budding David Attenborough, you decide to go on a safari. And you look out at the magnificent African wildlife through your camouflage SAS binoculars. And there's one animal which catches your eye. It's the African impala. And it's the Jonathan Edwards of African animals. It can jump over 10 feet high and over 30 feet long. But let your mind think about this. These creatures can be kept in an enclosure in any zoo with a wall just three feet high. So why is that? Well, it's because they will not jump if they cannot see where their feet will fall. Do you see the point? Faith is the ability to trust what you cannot see. Let me say that again. Faith is the ability to trust what you cannot see. Now, when things are going well, that is easy, isn't it? But what happens when you lose your job? Or when your health begins to suffer? Or when you face some uncertainty in your life, and when things just don't seem to work out quite as you'd expected? Let me ask, do you still trust in God? Well, that was a very real test given to a man called Abraham. And maybe tonight you can relate a bit with him. If you turn to Genesis 22, you'll find this remarkable story. Now, there is warm, so you'll have to concentrate tonight. Genesis 22 and verses 1 to 19. It's page number... 22 of the few Bibles. Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19. Verse 1, and it says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up. And saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is a lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself 
will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hands and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Amen. An amazing story of faith. And if you now flick over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, just three verses... Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 19, and it's page 1209 of your Bibles. You discover the writer of this letter includes this man called Abraham and his heroes of faith. So let's look at what he says. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. And it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And so tonight, I want us to unpack this. And I want us to think about this vital question for each one of our lives. And it's this. How do you trust God in a time of testing? Okay? How do you trust God in a time of testing? And we're going to find out that there are three marks of someone who trusts in God. And here's the first one. Their life is marked by contemplation. Contemplation. And notice how it begins. It begins by remembering God's faithfulness. Remembering God's faithfulness. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were invited to a wedding reception in Dunfermline, the Kingdom of Fife. And so we got dressed up, we arrived at the hotel, and on our table, guess what we found? Three disposable cameras. Now, it wasn't because we were all posers. The idea is, you take photographs, so the newlyweds can look back and remember their special day. Now, if you're anything like me, there will be times... 
when you sit down at home, you take the photo album down from its shelf, you make yourself a nice warm drink, and you reflect on the past, don't you? You do. And what do you think when you look at your photographs? What do you think? Did I honestly look like that? Those clothes, did I really wear them outside? And that hairstyle, was that even remotely attractive? But you know, remembering can be a good thing. And Abraham knew that. I'm sure if he had a photo album, he would have had two sections headed up. Number one, travel. And number two, family. And if you look at verse 8, you'll notice Abraham could look back. And he could remember God's faithfulness on his travels from Ur of the Chaldeans to the lands of Canaan. Look at verse 8 with me. It says this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. In other words, he found God faithful wherever he went. I thought that was great. But that's not all. If you cast your eye at verse 11, verse 11, notice Abraham could remember God's faithfulness in his family. He had his photograph. And verse 11, what does it say? Verse 11, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. One of my heroes is Hudson Taylor. And during an especially trying time in the China Inland Mission, he wrote this to his wife. We have 25 cents and all the promises of God. I wonder if you ever look back and I wonder if you contemplate the faithfulness of God, the God who keeps his promise. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, do mercies I see. But trusting God also means remembering God's objective. Remembering God's objective. And there are two questions to think about here. Number one, why does God test us? Do you ever think about that? Why is God testing me? Let me quote you from Warren Wearsby. He writes very helpfully. He says, The devil tempts us to bring out the worst in us. Listen to this. But the Father tests us to bring out the best in us. I recently heard a very poignant story. It was about a man called Andrei Sakharov, the famous Soviet dissident. And the story goes that as Andrei wrote his memoirs, Eleanor Bonner, his wife, typed and edited his work. And she did everything that she could to make sure it survived seizure by the government. And Andrei was finally exiled to Gorky, and there he continued to work on his memoirs, rewriting sections because they kept vanishing. And then one day, he met Eleanor at the train station. And with trembling lips, he told her, they stole it. She says, 
He looked like a man who had just been told of the death of a close friend. But after a few days, he returned to his work. And get this, according to his wife, each time Andre rewrote his memoirs, there was something new. Something better. You know, I wonder if God is testing you even today. Well, let me encourage you. God is testing you because he wants to bring out the best in you. Think about that. Listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Great words. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. George Muller, back in the 19th century, put it this way. He says, God delights to increase the faith of his children. I say and say deliberately, trials, difficulties and sometimes defeat, notice that, are the very food of faith. We should take them out of his hands as evidences of his love and care for us in developing more and more that faith which he is seeking to strengthen in us. And now our second question. How does God test us? Now over recent weeks, you may have noticed in Charlotte Chapel some students looking a wee bit stressed. There's a good reason for that. For as every student knows, at the end of their course there is an examination paper. But here is how God tests us. And catch this. He does it out of love. Arthur W. Pink, the theologian, puts it well when he writes... Ah, God educates his children little by little. He writes, as they grow in grace, harder tasks are assigned them and deeper waters are called to be passed through that enlarged opportunities may be afforded for, the manifestation, for manifesting their increased faith in God. Listen to this. It is not the raw recruit, but the scarred veteran who is assigned a place in the front ranks in the battle. Think it not strange then, fellow Christian, he writes, if thy God is now appointing thee severer tests than he did some years ago. So trusting God in a time of testing means to contemplate. It begins with contemplation. And the second mark is consecration. Consecration. And here we see the great motivation of Abraham's faith. It was his extravagant love for God. Now on Friday... We got a glimpse of how much people love a certain sport. A certain sport called football. And people from all over the world were glued to their television sets from Argentina to Australia, from Italy to Iran, and from Spain to Saudi Arabia. And apparently some people, even in Charlotte Chapel, stayed in all day yesterday just to watch England play Paraguay. And apparently England won. And you will find out how much they love football when their favourite team sinks that bag of air into the back of the net. But for Abraham, his greatest love was for his maker, God. And he could echo these words of Francis Shaver. As thyself hast loved me, O ever-loving Lord, so would I love thee, dearest Lord, and in thy praise will sing, solely because thou art my God, and my most loving king. 
And you'll notice it showed them how he responded to God's test. R.T. Kendall comments helpfully. He says, Abraham was now carrying through outwardly what he had committed to inwardly. I want us to notice two things about this test and how we can learn from Abraham's response. Firstly, it was a personal test. And we see that in verse 17. If you look at verse 17, notice what it says. It says, by faith Abraham, our opening verse says, and Genesis puts it in narrative form. It says this, sometime later God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. He replied. Now, stay with me here. This is not a test of faith for Sarah, like the birth of Isaac. Yes? And or was it a test for the servants who accompany Abraham and Isaac on their journey. And it wasn't even a test of faith for Isaac. It is a personal matter between the Almighty God and Abraham. You know, I wonder if you're being tested at this very time. And maybe you can say, yes, that's me. Well, if that's you, think about this. Does not such personal attention indicate the extreme love of God? In fact, the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, you recall, speaks about such testing in terms of the discipline of a loving father. You see, the common reaction is to cry out, Why me, Lord? Yes? And the answer, if we listen carefully, is always, Because I love you. You are mine. And folks, that has always been the case. Listen to these words from Isaiah the prophet. Tremendous words. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Listen to this. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Listen, you are precious and honoured in my sight, and I love you, says God. So it was a personal test. But it was also a perplexing test. A perplexing test. Now let me ask you, can you still think back to your student days? Yep, at school or university. And you remember, it's when you wore those funny clothes and had that funny hairstyle. Yes. And the time came to show the world your knowledge. So you're given an examination paper, you take one look at it, and what thoughts come rushing into your mind? I don't understand. One simple, one single bit of this. Are you really sure I'll be given the right paper? Well, put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Cast your eye at verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So what do we find here? We find that what God asked Abraham to do just doesn't make any sense at all. For decades, he had longed for a son, the fulfillment of God's promise. And at last, miraculously, The son had arrived. And his seed would bring blessing 
to the whole world. But now God was asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So why? George Guthrie explains Abraham's predicament. And he writes this. The crux of Abraham's crisis is the seeming contradiction between the promises of God, which were to be fulfilled through his heir Isaac, and the command of God to sacrifice that heir. Thus, Abraham was forced into a radical posture of trusting God. You know, twice a year, we run Christianity, explore downstairs in the lounge, and I can guarantee you that on every course, someone will ask the question, if there is a God, how could he allow 9-11 to happen? Yep. And if there is a God, why did my best friend die in a car accident? And if there is a God, why did my parents' marriage fall apart? And maybe you have your own question. Why am I going through this? You see, folks, there are many things in this life, in this fallen and messed up, broken world, which we do not understand. Well, think about this. The real difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is not that the Christian knows all the answers. The real difference is that the Christian knows the one who has the answers. Horatio Spafford was a businessman in Chicago and he sent his wife and three daughters to Europe by ship while he remained back in the States intending to join them later. However, en route, there was a terrible storm and the ship went down and his three daughters tragically drowned. Mrs. Spafford made it to safety and wired back saying, all of our daughters have been lost. Only I have been saved. Horatio took the next vessel and as they came near the place where his daughters drowned, the skipper of the ship pointed to the place where the other ship had gone down. And it was there, on the deck of that ship, that he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I wonder if you have that same unshakable faith in God tonight. You see, there are times in our lives when some things are a mystery. And there are times when we can look back and we can understand a little bit of why something happened. And there are other times when we simply don't understand at all. But if you look down at verse 10, Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundation whose architect and builder is God. And it's there in the presence of the one who hung on a cross for him that he will find the answer to all his questions. And that takes us to our third mark of a person who trusts in God. Their life will be characterized by celebration. And verse 19 is simply a wonderful verse. Verse 19, what does it say? It says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And so as you trust in God, in your unique situation, note here with me two wonderful reasons why you can celebrate. Okay? Here's the first one. You can celebrate God's great power. You can celebrate God's great power. Now, if you were at this morning's service, you recall that we sang a children's song. 
If you remember, it had a rather quick tempo. Remember? I wonder if you managed to keep up with it. And it was called Sometimes I Feel Afraid. And the chorus goes something like this. Because my God, he is big, he's gigantic, he's enormous, he is powerful and strong, he's amazing and he's awesome, and there's nothing in this world that he could not pulverize, so I know I've got nothing to fear. Not, no, no, so I know I've got nothing to fear. Well, Abraham knew the reality, it went something like that, of the power of God in his own life. You know, maybe you are thinking, my test is just too great. My test is just too insurmountable. Well, look once more at this verse. Verse 19. God tested Abraham. He asked, he asked him to do something that seemed humanly impossible. But notice what it says. It says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And the word reasoned is the word of a thinker, a calculator. So what does that mean? It means that Abraham had proved God's power. Remember? He had proved that in the birth of his son Isaac. And now his faith was extended to prove it in the death and resurrection of his son. God is able. Folks, I wonder if you and I really, really believe that. God is able and he can meet you in your need. So you can celebrate God's great power. And finally, you can celebrate God's gracious provision. God's gracious provision. Martin Luther was one of the great reformers back in the 16th century. And the story goes that for family devotions, he once read the account of Abraham and Isaac on the altar in Genesis 22. And his wife Katie said, I do not believe it. God would not have treated his son like that. But Katie, Luther replied, he did. And we get a marvellous picture of this in verse 19. There's an expression which doesn't come out in the NIV translation. And it says literally, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And in a figure, look that, in a figure, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Now the word in a figure are literally in a parable. Okay? And that could mean, as the NIV has it, figuratively speaking. But many, right back to the early church fathers, believe that the expression has a deeper meaning. Now what happened on that day when Isaac was spared was a kind of parable of something far, far more important. On a hill, outside the city of Jerusalem, God provides a sacrifice in place of another. Not a ram caught in a thicket, but a lamb slain before the foundation of the world in God's eternal decrees. And again the father's hand is lifted over his one and only son. But this time, it has not stayed. In that darkest hour in human history, the most perplexing question ever asked rings out from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet there is a purpose. There is a plan. Long in place. And so Isaiah could prophesy, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. 
and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord Jesus Christ died so that you and I could be forgiven. And on that third glorious day, God raised him from the dead. Not figuratively, but literally. Heroes. Heroes. Hallelujah. Christ arose. So as we come to communion now, I want us to ask you two simple questions first. And here's the first one. Are you saved? Are you saved? Is Jesus Christ a reality in your life? The Bible says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I wonder if you'll make that decision tonight. And my second question is this. Are you trusting God? Are you trusting God? Even when you don't know how everything is going to work out, and even when you can't explain everything, welling up from the love within your heart, can you say tonight, blessed be your name. In the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow, Blessed be your name. And blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Great is the faithfulness of God. Let us pray.